Yo, what's up, everybody? What is up, my illustrious co-host? How you doing today? Ooh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How about yourself? I am doing well. Uh, my name is Blake. I'm Will, and I guess I'm doing well, too. Sorry for the grammatically incorrect response, <laughs> and I need to shame me like that in front of everybody. <laughs> well, uh, welcome, everyone who's listening to the Pixelist Podcast. Right. This is the the space. This is the place to be. To uh, join in on the discussion of all things amazing and fun to talk about. We talk about shows, movies, games, all sorts of things that we're interested in and really enjoy. And uh, hopefully you're here for the journey. You're here along for the ride. And this is our series on Exandria Unlimited. It is a it is Sorry. a Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Sorry for doing that. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> it is a Dungeons and Dragons uh, Twitch streamed game. Uh, I was going to say by a, a team. It's not by a team. It's it's by a group of friends that are collectively known as basically the Critical Role team. And uh, they stream on a weekly basis. They do um, long form story content uh, on a weekly basis over several, several months, uh, actually spanning over uh, a few years. And right now we are going through their um, mid season or excuse me, it's more like buffer seasonal content, which is they finished campaign two, we're waiting for campaign three. And what we have now is Exandria Unlimited, which is an eight episode story arc where we get to see a new journey begin again. And That's Will right. and myself, we are here to talk about it, to tell us what we love about it and to share what we think about it. So that's what this show is so welcome <laughs> and we're glad to have you here today that's right that's right and man uh, these episodes are long so i guess we should just jump right into it like this uh episode two is what we're going to be talking about today and i think it was about four hours is that i actually didn't even look but i think it was about four yeah it was just over four hours and i only know that because i was watching my kid and my wife was kind of like so how much longer is that <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well uh we got about Two and a half more hours left. Oh, but, gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's definitely long-form content. Um, I think of it, and again, we ran into this in our first episode, but we have people who are probably watching this who are diehard Critical Role fans, diehard D&D fans who are like, yeah, we're here, we're ready. And then there might be people here who are watching because they followed our Loki discussion or one of our other pieces of content. And they're like, yeah, what is this? Um, so I'll just say we're... We're essentially taking a very long story on a weekly basis, around four hours, and Will and I are going to do our best to break it down in as um, efficient a way, but uh, there's a lot to talk about, so. Yeah, there is, and um, yeah, I guess to start things off, uh, since it is so long, we will uh, we'll give a little recap. We plan on doing that every episode, so you know, whether you uh, need a refresher or just maybe haven't even watched it but want to take take part in the discussion uh you know here you go you're in luck um all right so episode two exandria unlimited <clears throat> all right so the episode started out with our party still in amon uh shortly after their warehouse shenanigans from the last episode and uh fern is currently struggling with leaving the baby on keg behind and con is considering going to get it um, the party basically talks her out of this, though, and they begin to plot their next moves. Uh, and they ultimately decide that getting out of town is probably the best option, as they realize they are currently being watched. 
So uh, Fern actually dodges a dagger and they're like, okay, yeah, like we need to get out of here. So they head for the gate and they actually run into two members of the Nameless Ones uh, who confront them. And Opal and Dorian both try to charm these people, but only Opal is successful. And so she takes the... Uh, the one she charmed away to like go get a beer while the rest of the party uh, um, dispatches the other and uh opal has like in in this time that they dispatch the other she goes and ties this guy up and basically convinces them they're about to get into some kinky stuff but <clears throat> the rest of the party shows up and they're like let's get out of here so they actually then quickly dispatch the charmed guy and they head out of town um so they decide to camp for the night because it's late, and so they make a little trek into the woods, make a campsite. Fern actually creates them something pretty nice, and uh, they, you know, bow down for the night and start talking about what their next moves are. Orem still wants to go to the Fire Ashari, let them know about this residuum that they've found, and that's his main plan. No one else really has any main ideas, so they're all like, yep, let's do it. But so then Fern asks about this circlet that they've found and they're trying to figure out what exactly this thing is. And she decides to touch it, which she didn't do in episode one. And it is revealed that she does not get sick. So she is also not a good alignment. <clears throat> After this, Opal decides to inspect it for herself. And when she puts her hand on it, the sky gets dark and she begins to have a vision. She can see the circlet within the box clearly, and she begins to hear the skittering of spiders all around her. And then one massive spider leg comes into view before she shakes out of it. Uh, she shares this with the party and then kind of jests about uh, a king spider, a spider king. Um, but then Orem and Dorian both let her know that uh, the spider queen is indeed a figure in Exandrian legend, a betrayer god. And Orem used to hear uh, scary stories about her when he was a child. They then speculate that this circlet may be her crown. So uh, in this conversation, then Dorian's like, you know, and in fact, it might be a vestige of divergence, which is like these items of great power from the time of the calamity. And uh, that's when Orem pipes up and is like, yeah, I've seen one of those. It's held by the leader of my people, Keyleth, a.k.a. the voice of the Tempest. And then a few of them start speaking up about, uh, you know, Keyleth and these legendary things. And uh, they're just wrestling with like, OK, well, like, how do we get this precious item? Like. You know, what should we do with this? And Fern mentions that her grandmother may know what to do with it, and they could take it to her. But she lives in the Feywild, and that is very far away. And they're like, yeah, that is far away. How, how did you get here? <clears throat> and she's asked about it, and Ashley actually rolls a natural 20. And so she is able to peel back this memory that she had that was kind of being clouded by another memory, and she's able to see into the truth of it, and remembers walking with her grandmother to this great stone gate. Um, and passing through it and walking for what felt like forever, but also just a second. And eventually she appeared near Singorn and then made her way to Amon. Um, so after hearing all that, they're like, yeah, okay. Uh, but, but how about we just go to the fire Ashari and we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do with that circlet in the meantime. So they go to bed and everyone cycles through their night watches. Uh, not too much happens during the night. Dariax, is the first one on watch and he sees what he thinks might be Posca riding away on her horse away from the city in the middle of the night because he just sees a rider that has some red leather and uh, Posca, as we know, is wearing red leather. Um, Orem was next. Not really anything eventful for him on his watch. He does kind of think about the box and kind of hears the skittering on the peripheral of his senses, but nothing else. 
Um, Fern's next. Again, really nothing happens with her. Um, but then she goes to wake up Opal, who is next, and we cut into uh, Opal's dream. And she feels like she's awake, and she hears the skittering, and she kind of reminisces about the vision that she had earlier and sees the big spider leg again. And then she feels like a face is coming toward her in this dream. Uh, but it turns out to just be Ted, her twin sister. And Ted asks her, you know, what are you doing with this evil object? Why didn't you throw it in the ocean? Um, what are you doing? And basically Opal and Ted get into a big fight, uh, which ultimately leads to Opal kind of <laughs> becoming lucid in the dream and wrestling control of it away from her sister and is like, see ya, you know, like I'm done with this. And um, Ted makes sure to remind her, and I think the exact words were, bitch, I am your magic. And so like, good luck without me, basically, is what she says. Um, then Opal wakes up, her watch is uneventful, and she wakes up Dorian. Um, during his watch, his thoughts are consumed by the circlet, just like a lot of the other people had been. And on the edge of his awareness, he hears the skittering and the scratching. Uh, but then he hears a voice in a language he quite doesn't understand, uh, undercommon. And mm -hmm. it's almost like a lullaby. Uh, he gets out his lute and tries to play with it. And by the time he's done, he no longer hears the skittering. And we're told that something is well-pleased by his playing. Um, that's basically everything that happens. The party wakes up and they make their way back to the fire shari. Um, that's where we kind of had the break in the episode. And we pick back up. They've made it there. And as they approach, a half-orc woman runs out and greets Orem by name. And we find out that she is Lorcathar of the Fire Ashari. She invites them in, and they discuss everything that's going on. Orem tells her of the residuum and wants her to get a message to the voice of the Tempest about what's happening so that she can tell her friends. He reveals that he was a guard and overheard, um, you know, many interesting things during that time. And that's kind of why he thinks this may be important. They decide not to tell Lorcathar about the circlet for now. And Lorcathar... Uh, begins to tell them about what they've been dealing with. Something has been happening with the land Thordak, the Cinder King, had touched in this area. It has been corrupted, and while they haven't been, and while they have been healing it, something seems to be pushing back, uh, causing tremors and flares. And the elements have just basically been getting more chaotic. And a recent flare-up killed several of their fire tamers. Only two of them returned from this mission. Uh, and I'm probably going to say these wrong, but Jesso and Rayon. Um, a non-binary halfling and a male elf, respectively. Uh, the party wants to speak to them, and Lorcathar goes to retrieve them. Uh, they they come, and Jesho does all the talking, and the party realizes that they quickly have a lot in common. And it's here that it's revealed that uh, the party, too, has been to this crater altogether. And they saw a lot of the same things that these fire tamers did. Um, Jesho realizes that Mr., you know, Fern's elemental is actually, or Fern's monkey is a fire elemental. And Fern explains how she reached in and used the energy of the crater to kind of like pull him out and just grab him. Uh, and Jesho reveals that um, when they were ambushed by these cinder slag elementals when they were in the crater, the ones that killed seven of their people, uh, these cinder slag elementals were created in the exact same way by a mysterious being. Dorian asks about this creature and describes a woman with wings and blazing wings and lava. And Jesso confirms that, yeah, this is, that's what we saw too. Um, a lot of mystery there, but Orem basically says, you know, like, I want to help you people. And the rest of the party's like, well, if he wants to help, we want to help. Um, 
Fern then feels a tremor in the earth that no one else does, and a short while later, a massive earthquake occurs. The party walks out of the tent to see like a surreal gray ashen sky, ash raining down, and a strange red like aurora borealis streaking across um, the sky, and a massive uh, plateau, a mesa, had just formed where one hadn't been um, before. Um, chaos is going on. A lot of the Ashari are running around and they do not know what to do. They eventually run into Lorcathar again, though, and she asks, hey, can you... We don't know what's going on. Can you please help us figure out what is happening here? So they're like, yeah, we'll do it. And so they make their way to this new plateau and climb their way up, which proves to be pretty pretty difficult. And also with this ash raining down, filling their lungs, um, they're at risk of getting points of exhaustion. The longer they are in this and the more they talk, um, the higher chance of it it is. So as they're going, they eventually see a light in the distance, and when they approach it, they realize um, that this is a like boiling, roiling sigil in the ground at the top of this um, mesa. And um, sorry, the the part so the party's trying to figure out what the heck this is, and Opal gets close to it and is like, well, let me spray some perfume near it and see what happens. But before she does that to be safe, she's like, I cast shield on myself. Uh, but her magic does not work. So she's terrified by this and kind of retreats to reassess. Darius decides to throw a rock at it to see what happens. And when he does, the rock uh, melts down as soon as he get cl it gets close to the sigil. They're like, okay. Um, yeah. And it's at this point that Fern notices that the sigil seems to be incomplete. And so Dariax suggests, hey, well, how about we just give it, give Mr. to it? And the party notices that Mr. is completely ignoring them as he is fixated on the rune. And he no longer has the form of a monkey. He is now just pure fire elemental. So something's going on with this and him. Um, Opal decides, hey, let's talk to it. And so she tries to communicate with the sigil and it responds. But it turns out it's just Ted making fun of her. And Ted reveals that she is the one that has taken Opal's magic not the rune. So she and Ted get into an argument which baffles the whole party as Opal is seemingly talking to herself, but they decide to hold that and talk about it later. They got more important things going on. So Fern decides to walk up and touch the rune, and as a fire druid, she's not bothered by the heat, but does notice that it is extremely hot. And nothing happens, but she does kind of feel at one with the fire. Um, again, it is suggested that maybe Mr. could go in, because he's fixated on it. He is a fire elemental Maybe there's something there. And Fern asks if that's what he wants, if he wants to go home. Um, and he doesn't actually respond to that, but he is still just fixated on it. So they approach together, and when they reach the edge, Fern is kind of blown back by this massive force. And there where Mr. Stood is now like this giant swirling ash elemental. So they enter combat with it and are fighting it. And then Dorian has, in my opinion, the MVP move of the whole session. Uh, and he casts Dissonant Whispers, which forces uh, the enemy to flee away from you. And it is successful, and it causes Mr. to step off the rune, which causes him to revert from that back to his normal form. Um, it's, a, it's at this point, and I had to mention this, that Dariax is like, now's our chance. And so Dariax still rushes to attack Mr., but he rolls a nat one. And uh, Fern is able to move Mr. right out of the way at the last second. And uh, in so doing, Dariax is stumbling and is going to fall into the sigil. But uh, Orem helps him out, prevents that from happening. But his spear does uh, get burned up in the process. 
So they exit the plateau and realize they basically had accomplished nothing, found out nothing. What do they do now? Uh, but they run into Lorcathar, tell her what they found. Um, they actually draw the sigil for her to get her take on it. Um, she doesn't recognize it, but says, you know what? I know somebody that might, um, a rune child, uh, by the man of, uh, by the name of Sean Gilmore, go find him in Amon, uh, do me this favor, go find him in Amon, see if he can help us figure out what this is. And that's basically the end of the episode, but we do get a little post-credit scene. Um, and I'll just read that verbatim here. It is head watches from a dark place with frustration love and duty but definitely frustration she will cave she will always protect her sister from the world from herself always and that was the episode and sorry for talking for like 50 straight minutes but boom hopefully that's great man it's too much to break down four hours you did a great job man you had every detail that i thought was important and um it's 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 tough to hit the nuance of the episode in just like a description of it. But uh, like I said, I think you, you've nailed all the big moments. Um, now the question, it, it's interesting. Cause like this was, so episode one, I really kind of felt out of place in the sense of, I was really kind of, when we recorded, it had been several days since, or a few days since we'd actually watched it. So a lot of it was fuzzy. Um, I literally just finished this episode like two hours ago, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I this time took down notes as things were happening and I have so many thoughts and I'm sure some of our listeners also have so many thoughts. Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not quite sure what's the best route for us to piece it together. Um, and part of me, it's like, even like going through the recap, there were certain points where I was like, Oh, that was really interesting. And here's what I was wondering about that. Yeah. Um, so I have like these thoughts about like the actual content of the episode. And then I have like these, more macro thoughts mm -hmm. of of the the production i guess of it not really oh, production not production production is the wrong word like the show as as a critical role show if mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah right. um and maybe shows the wrong word because i know matt mercer in the past when he's gotten criticism has been like hey this actually is not a show these are friends playing D D that we're sharing with other people. And so yeah. show's probably the wrong word, but I, know I have thoughts. Yeah. 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 So I, I have like these out of world thoughts versus in the world. Um, okay. That's interesting detail. Okay. That's interesting. You know what's happening there. And I don't know how to piece it together for the sake of uh, this conversation. Yeah. I think, I mean, just especially like we've already said with such long content, so much to talk about. I think we just, there's not really going to be like a clean order to things. Mm -hmm. I think we just talk about things and, you know, one thing we do and for the, for the listeners out there, um, if you, if you're checking this out on YouTube, we will have timestamps in the comments. So like, if there's something specific you are hoping we talk about, uh, check down there and, uh, yep. it usually take us a couple, uh, maybe a couple days after this is uploaded, but they will be there. And so I think, you know, we should just, you yeah. got something, let's talk about it and we'll try to, try to keep it logical but yeah. I, yeah i don't know well i mean and also it's gonna be tough to, I, I don't want these deep dives to be as long as the critical role episode <laughs> so we probably won't hit on like every single detail so right. if you listeners definitely if we miss something that you thought was really great or really awesome feel free to um tell us about it 
but yeah, well, I think that makes sense to go as logical as we can. So maybe a good starting point would be how the episode began, which is they've just stolen this residuum and they're on the run, so to speak. And, um, I loved, I loved Orem's line. Um, uh, oh, this would have been later. I'm see, I'm already cutting ahead now. Cause I was going to say, I loved Orem's line of like, you know, this is more of a walk and talk type of conversation. <laughs> Cause they were talking about like, how did you learn to tie people up? He's like, Oh, every, you know, yeah. all the girls know. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, it's probably walk and talk. Let's, let's go. Um, that was great. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the, um, the charming scene. Um, I thought um, Abria did a great job playing the uh, the charmed character, which what yeah. was his name again? Arthur. Arthur, yeah, is that right? it was Arthur. And I just I because the great thing about D and D is a lot of times what can happen in individual sessions is, or just speaking for myself as a player when it comes to like actions and combat, what you can actually do, how do you actually progress. Um, the momentum of whatever moment is happening is we get really tied up with damaging cantrips and spells. Like this is the move I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And I just really, I enjoy it when there's a bit of flavor that's different than that. Um, You know, you have uh, Dorian and Opal who both cast charm on these two thieves guild people who've been tracking them and you never really quite know how a DM is going to act out charm. And I loved how Arthur was like, oh, you're really cool. Man, I'm, I'm so sorry about to kill all your friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really great. Bummed. We're going to like kill everyone. But hey, don't worry about you. Like, we'll pretend like we didn't see you. And um, I just really appreciated that. Yeah, me too. And uh, I feel like now is as good a time as any since you kind of just brought up that, you know, doing charm is kind of like a fun thing to do besides, you know, just Eldritch Blast or whatever it may be. So take this opportunity that I just got to give uh, Robbie and Amy praise for both having never played D and D before they right. are just, they've just slotted right in and uh, especially Robbie, not, not to take anything away from Amy, but like, especially Robbie, I've just been so impressed by him. Um, both like he's a natural, he's a natural. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's a voice actor and he's a self-proclaimed like nerd. He's all into the video games and stuff. So I'm sure this is a very like smooth fit for him. But he's just been killing it. Mm-hmm. And well, and with Amy, there's a lot of excitement there of seeing someone play for the first time. Yeah. Of like the joy. And she's like, oh, wait, what? Like, like that moment later when she says, like, oh, maybe like a spider king or something. And everyone's <laughs> yeah. like, ah. she's like, wait, there is a deity. There is something like that. Like, yeah. that's such a, like a, a fun moment to be able to see as an audience of like, okay. Th- that is someone who is discovering the fun of D and D and we, as the viewers, we get to see that happen. And yeah. so um, it, it's, it's great seeing that energy and excitement from both of them for sure. I love it. I love it. Man. So or go ahead. If you had something. Oh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, so we have the, the charming thing that happens and um, I just, uh, Matt Mercer, like any, I just anything he says, I'm just always like, yes, I love that. And speaking, <laughs> speaking also on your comment of um, Dorian, of him casting dissonant whispers in that moment, mm-hmm. um, or was it dissonant whispers or something else? I can't remember. Yeah, at um, the end. No, uh, what did he cast when the when the larger thieves guild guy had um, grappled him? 
Oh, oh and he, he leaned back and he whispered. It was an attack is what it was. Um, and the person succeeded on the check. So they took half damage, but he gave the, 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 the prime bard like <laughs> response, which was, I love hugs like jokes <laughs> on you. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this guy's fitting his role so well. I mean, it's just great. It's, it's fun to see it happen. It is. It is. And, uh, yeah, I forgot. I had forgotten about that moment with the, I mean, he was like shimmying out or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Isn't it great to see like, or sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just about, if you, if you're still on this, I was about to jump. Well, I was just going to say in general, I just, I'm really enjoying seeing every character's personality come out in different ways yes. and not, not to keep you from jumping, but just on that, um, Fern, being this druidic character who cares about wildlife and nature, her being like, do you think we can go back for the baby on keg at the start of the episode? And you could see, um, uh, a Bria's face of like, pretty much like as the DM, no, <laughs> like, <there's, laughs> please, please you, don't, you would die. Don't do that. But like, uh, I just, I don't know. I just, everyone's, everyone's sliding into what their character would be like, how they would act. And they're really embracing like, this is who I am. So, yes, that's that's the that's like my favorite part of watching these extremely long form content is like seeing the player just like really find what their character like who that their character is going to be and just really seeing that like get fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% agree, bro. But I wanted them to go get the on keg so bad. I wanted that to happen because I, I just wanted to see where that was going to lead and if like they it, would maybe keep it or just yeah. what. Do you think that because I'm thinking about this like a couple of ways. Like I think there's sometimes like a player, sometimes I think players say things that they know they can't do. Like I think Ashley Johnson probably knows like, Hey, we're not going to go back, but it's still important to like show that, Hey, my character would still um, want to do something like this. Yeah. But on the flip side, the other thing I was thinking that I wonder if this was a, wasn't a limited run in terms of eight episodes if there be more freedom to explore and discover um because it feels like with like matt mercer for example in a campaign this is stretching you know so many episodes that although the line of the plot line is somewhat um it's there there's so much more wiggle room because it's like oh if we don't get right to the -hmm. next big moment it's no big deal because we still have several months of this to go. Right. We know with this show, there's only eight episodes. So I wonder also if that's a little bit in play of like, yes, you could go back, but like we, we've moved on from that. So yeah, yeah that is no interesting. One, no one said that. I mean, I'm just, right, I'm just right. sort of, you know, that's a good point. And, uh, it just, this feels like a natural segue to another thing I wanted to talk about. It's just that, we kind of mentioned it in the first episode, but it's just so crazy to me that like they have been given a vestige of divergence at level two. And, you know, with, with what we got this episode, there seems to be some pretty crazy things going on. Like as far as, you know, the elemental planes might be acting up, like we'll, we'll talk more on, I guess what we think's happening on the whole, but like, it seems like a very big problem and it's like this is a level two party and there's only eight episodes so it's not like they're gonna get level 20 you know in in a month from now so like i'm just curious Mm -hmm. on like 
what the central conflict's going to be and how this is going to work out. And I mean, for all we know, maybe there is, maybe they do do something weird and they're like, oh, hey, by the way, you're now level eight. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. how that would work or how that would, they would make that make sense. But I've been thinking about that. Yeah. And this episode made me think, and I think I said this in the first episode that, okay, hey, they're telling a story with the beginning, a middle, and an end. I don't know if I fully believe that anymore. Um, because. In what way? In the way that I wonder if this is maybe an introduction to these characters and there'll there'll be some central plot that gets resolved, but it isn't. So, so for example, maybe this whole um, fire elemental thing becomes like the main sticking point of the story. Mm -hmm. And the, as the, you know, they, they resolve it over the next several episodes. And then it's like, as a sort of a cliffhanger, Hey, we still have this circlet to deal with, or maybe something happens with the circlet. I don't know. Um, and maybe they're setting up for another um, uh, run later down the road when there's a gap, or when there's a need for a one shot. Uh, like when the Critical Role teams maybe taking a week off. Hey, yeah, we're going to bring them back and progress the story, or um, you know, maybe we're going to intertwine them a bit, and they're going to run concurrently. I, I have no idea. It just seems like there's so much happening now that i'm like yeah how how does this get resolved in the next six episodes and to your point i'm like it's a level two party um i don't think i've ever been in a DD campaign myself that's made it past level five you know before it falls apart and i think i read a statistic that it was something like 80 percent of DD players never make it to level 10 so like i don't i don't know what level 20 looks like i don't know what it feels like I have no clue whatsoever but i do wonder okay they're level two they're still level two what does the next six episodes look like in terms of acquired power, in terms of player progression? Um, that I have no idea. Yeah. And I think on your point of like, they could keep like using this past the eight episode mark, you know, down the road or whatever. I think that, I mean, obviously, I think EXU is going to be a, a series for, for the Critical Role brand. Like, um, you know, I'm not saying it's it's these same five people, but I think that there's going to be um, many seasons, if that's the right word, of EXU, but it might be completely different stuff each time. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, it's all about when they like announced it, it's all about like giving other storytellers a chance to like use Matt's world and stuff. So that to me implied that like, hey, you know, and it might be like we might not get another one until campaign three's over but i doubt it'd be that long but mm-hmm. um so it might be you know years till we get the next one but i could easily see it being like hey a new gm maybe a new slate of players and uh i don't know but i'm kind of getting off track but the uh the interesting thing and like you said is that you know they might not get all resolved is that this is matt's world and it's the same world that we've seen in campaign one and two and presumably three they haven't made any big announcements like that that there would be taking a step away from that so the things that are happening in in exu have consequences beyond exu if only mm-hmm. because it's still exandria like maybe I, this is just a um what's the word like a like a plot thread or like a, a seed planted of something mm-hmm. that might happen in campaign three that doesn't involve any of this crew that we're like with right now but you know maybe the elemental mm-hmm. planes explode and like i don't know but so uh, yeah, it's just interesting to try to think of like what will be their central 
conflict or enemy and how will that get resolved uh especially with a level two party so like it's just mm -hmm. hard to to reconcile like this chaos that we're seeing is happening that has uh implications for the world at whole yet knowing that we only have six episodes left and they're level two so like mm -hmm. how's that going to get reconciled i don't know yeah i don't know either and it definitely i think i said this in the last episode um it feels like the stakes are getting higher and higher especially as they went from so they leave town they go to they go and make camp and this box uh, which i think i missed the detail that they had put it back in a box um but this box that's holding the circlet is it's very um the easiest way for me to describe it was Lord of the Rings esque with the one ring that it's, it's yeah. calling to them. It's almost, um, I got like sort of like corrupting them type vibes, especially when Ted said it's going to make you evil, mm -hmm. which I feel like that was very intentional. Um, and I'm, I'm just enjoying like their uneasiness around it. Uh, or I say they, um, for the most part, uh, Orem and, uh, uh, uh dorian you know like the descriptions of it the world building of it so to speak in the mm -hmm. sense of um the skittering of spiders um the huge leg coming out oh. um, that was really cool to me um i got a serious vibe of the diablo 3 announcement trailer where <laughs> leah is having like this vision and asmodon's leg spider leg basically comes out and slams like right in front of her um, that's what i kind of envisioned was like this person opal totally out of her element uh naive no business with this as a level two person yeah and th the weightiness of what's happening here um and especially moving from that to or i'm talking about the stories he was told as a kid um uh dorian had an interesting comment he said we told stories ancient stories before my people fell and yes. it was weird how nobody was like okay wait what 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 happened to your people like it, it i guess maybe it was common knowledge about maybe the air genasi i wasn't really quite sure i don't know enough about campaigns one and two i was hoping maybe you had an insight um because i haven't also since i just finished the episode i haven't had a lot of time to like dig in and read what what do you think is going on there Okay, I'm glad you said that because, you know, and again, shout out to the Critical Role Discord. Um, if you happen to be watching this and you're from there, hit us up. Uh, we, love, we would love to talk about any fun theories or questions you guys might have. But I actually, I went in there and asked that, and I did have somebody uh, ask that exact same question that you did. Uh, give him credit real quick. Mr. Hoffer, I don't know if I'm saying that right. But uh, he was saying that his theory on that is that... Um, let me just read exactly what he said. He said is the reason Dorian said that his people fell is because the air Genasi had a floating city that crashed at some point, probably around the same time as the others. And um, there, there are floating cities in Exandria or rather there used to be, um, mm. but they all came crashing down. And I don't want to get into two, you know, we, I, we didn't give our spoiler di disclaimer in this episode yet, but uh, I've seen all, Campaign one and two. So as far as spoilers go with that stuff, I'll only kind of speak within the bounds that EXU is operating in. Mm -hmm. um, so because of that, I don't want to go too much into the other stuff about the floating cities, but I thought that was interesting because that could be true. Um, but it, there, I don't, there hasn't really been anything about 
Air Genasi history or mythology in any critical role so far. So really, nothing's really known about okay. Air Genasi as far as like Matt knows, and that's about it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I, I thought it was. So this makes sense because I thought he was saying like my people fell, like as in we were wiped out or something. And you're saying like a literal event happened where um, there were floating cities that that literally fell. <laughs> yes, but okay. so so that's Mr. Hoffer's theory. I I like that theory. Um, okay. I don't know if I'm team. That's what he meant or not? Because I think it could also be what you said that maybe yeah. like okay. the dynasty of Air Genasi fell. And actually, on that point. I think I think there's something going on with Dorian. I, in episode one, I forget what it was, but somebody pointed out like, "Oh, you're a rich kid." I can tell. Uh, there was some moment like that. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, but then, so that and and now this before my people fell. I'm almost, maybe even getting like royalty vibes from him. Mm. Like, uh, if not current, then like maybe if if fell does mean that like they once were prominent and now aren't. Maybe he's from a lineage that used to be. But yeah. he does seem to have money. He does yeah. seem to have that kind of air about him. So Well, and he does have that line in the introduction where he says, um, I'm Dorian. I can't remember his last name, but I'm Dorian. That's my stage name. And uh, Liam's like, oh, your stage name, huh? And I, I don't know if people read too much into that to mean like it's this faux personality, like this is who he's presented himself as. Yeah. Or if literally he was just saying like my my performing person is because yeah, like, I'm on D and D like exactly, exactly. You know. So, um, I'm not, I haven't really put too much thought into it of like, you know, Oh my gosh, he's, he's on the run or he's in hiding, which could totally be true other than just, um, it's just an interesting detail that, you know, I've, I have filed that away about his character on, um, huh. I wonder where his character is going to go. Yeah. And I think that's that's a little bit of what's tough too cuz we're we're talking about these characters that we're starting to fall in love with. Like, oh, that's an interesting detail. And again, it it all has to doesn't have to. I think as a viewer, we all want certain levels of like satisfaction and like neat as neat a bow tie as can be done right. in the next six episodes. Right. <laughs> um I'm very optimistic, but I am curious also. And maybe they won't, they probably, I mean, they can't address everything. And maybe that'll be the fun after Alexandria Limited is over is we'll be like, yeah, okay, like yeah, we can still, let's still talk about what happens next. So. Yeah. And if there, if there are like no plans to revisit those characters ever, which I hope there are, but if there aren't something they usually do is like can't call campaign wrap ups. So we might get to have like, if, if they are done, then we might get to have like a, a question and answer session with everybody. And so like Robbie could maybe answer some of those questions, at least, you know, from what his mind, like what he thought the character was. So I always love that about critical role at the end is getting to dive into Matt's brain and find out everything. Yeah. Um, I haven't got to experience that yet, but that, that would be a cool um, thing as the season wraps up. A show. And uh, we're not really on it anymore, but we kind of are. So I wanted to, you're talking about uh, the the spider queen and the myths and Orem talking about it. I just, I was so happy that when they made those religion checks that they rolled high enough to like get us that information. Cause like, Oh, this could be so cool. Like I want to hear about, you know, the betrayer gods and the spider queen. Yeah. I wanted to ask you as betrayer gods, is that language from C1 or C2? Yes, it's uh, it's like the the mythology and like the legend of 
like the world. So like it yes. Now I'm not there's uh, there's not really spoilers here, but I still just want to be careful with how I say things. But yeah, it is known like mythology and essentially uh there's like the prime deities and like at the beginning of not time necessarily, but like the beginning of history, um they like created men and created living things and lived together with them and all was well. And there are these things called primordials, which are like these ancient, like elemental spirits or whatever you want to call it. And they kind of like rose up out of the earth and were like, they fought with the gods mm -hmm. and the mortals and the betrayer gods are the gods that did not uh, help in that fight. They were like, we're out, you know, and they were like, they're all evil and stuff. Um, so that's just a quick 411 on what a betrayer god is. They're basically the ones that kind of abandoned humanity and um, did evil stuff. Hmm. Yeah, okay. They're like the... I, I need to like... I feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I do too much like other games or movies references because <laughs> we've we've done we've done lord of the rings we've done diablo 3 i was like oh this is like the sargeras to the pantheon yeah you know so i so but that, that's how i connect things i guess but yeah and um i don't know has has the spider queen does she have a name she does um again spider queen has never showed up in Okay. Critical role, uh, but I think ask, her name is, is like Lolith or something like that. I'm probably okay. saying it wrong, but okay, yeah. You know. So, and and again, apologies for people who maybe already know this. They're like, oh, it's this, and here's the whole history. Um, we literally just watched the episode, so we haven't done as much of a deep dive. Um, and for me, having not seen Critical One and Two, I'm just like discovering this as as we're going. Yeah, and what's really cool to me is that so you know, campaign one was a whole story done finished we started campaign two which takes place um a few decades later and um there are easter eggs there are illusions but for the most part there wasn't too much of a connection one i mean the fact that it's been a few decades later but uh it's just crazy to me that because that's how matt kind of handled it you know he wanted this to be its own thing and didn't want it to be overshadowed by things that happened in the first one that he just didn't he didn't tread there really right. but here in exu we are getting so many huge connections to campaign mm. one it's crazy um like keyleth has been name dropped and in episode one when i was talking about a character and i said i'll just call her k that's who i was referring to i thought that uh i thought that that be that, that might be the she orum kept referring to and i guess it was um but yeah then, let's do it again <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's just it was just really cool to see them like know who she is and like know the history of vox machina which is the name of the team from campaign one and like hear about these vestiges of divergence and i, I don't remember which who said it i think it was fern but i'm not sure but she was like oh yeah i know about keyleth and all of vox machina like my grandmother told me about them or something like that. And so that got me going. I was like, wait, who the heck is her grandma? And so I'm wondering if that's some sort of like Easter egg. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think her grandma might be someone from campaign one? Um, maybe. I, if it is, I think it's like a small thing, but I think, yeah, okay. I feel like there's gotta be some connection there, but maybe not. Uh, I have a theory and I won't say it, but I'll just announce the theory part in case I can reveal it later. 
have a theory about the gate that she traveled through. And so I'm, I'm interested to see if we get any more information about that. Um, yeah, maybe we can, can we, let's speak, if we can talk about that maybe even now, because this is around the campfire that she's sort of telling um, her origin story, so to speak. And because they're also talking about where they could take the circlet. And right, right now they're planning to go to the fire genasi because they're taking the residuum there. Um, but Fern has this moment, which was so interesting to me, where she um, remembers basically the, I don't know how you took it. I took it as like a planted memory. Like this is what actually happened versus no, what actually, actually happened which is really cool that we had sort of, and I loved how uh, Abria described it of like, like you see almost like the edges of the memory and you can peel it away. Yeah. That was such, that was such a great like description. Yeah, it really was. And so we, we get introduced to her, her grandmother and she's suggesting that maybe we could take it to her mm -hmm. and, uh, in the Feywild, wild. And I think, uh, and again, I, I'm not super familiar with the world of Exandria. So like I'm piecing together details uh, of the world as I'm listening. Right. But I think Dariak says it's near Zephyr or where he's from is in Zephyr or something like that. Uh, or maybe uh, the Feywild is in Zephyr. Uh, was it Zephra? Zephra. I think that's right. Is that... I, I wrote down Zephyr, but I, I, might, I may have misheard it. Okay, because I don't, I don't explicitly remember this moment you're talking about, so I'm not trying to say what happened, but I do know Zephra is the uh, Arashari home. So that would be where Orum is from. And I Interesting. Don't, so the Feywild is like a different dimension, different right. different plane of existence. Right. So Zephra is in in Exandria. So I I don't know enough to know about how like maybe like the like maybe there's a portal near Zephra that leads to the Feywild, mm. but like they're on two different planes of existence. So I don't know what he would have meant by Zephra's close to. Yeah, him. I'm just looking at my node, and it's <clears throat> it's um. Uh, it's when they're literally we're talking about Keyleth and um, Orem says, and actually what's funny is Fern says, well, maybe, you know, Keyleth has one, which I didn't know that. But I guess <laughs> Keyleth has a vest and she says, well, Keyleth yeah. has one. Maybe, maybe we should have one. <laughs> and Orem says, well, if it belongs to the Spider Queen, it might be incredibly dangerous. So Fern says, well, then maybe we should go to the Feywild to see my grandmother. And Dirac says, oh yeah, that's near. And again, I wrote Zephyr. I think I should have written Zephra. Um, and uh, he says, yeah, it's near Zephra, which is where I'm from. Um, he says, but it's farther from where we're heading. And then he says, but maybe that's a good thing because we're trying to get as far from Iman as we can. So maybe we should go that way. Um, but then he goes back and says, then again, maybe we should just sell it, you know, <laughs> and we sell it to a third party and we tell the Thieves Guild like, hey, we, um, you know, we didn't realize. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so well, maybe. Okay, maybe I maybe Zephyr is like a different place then, you know, because it also doesn't make sense that he said I'm from there because I don't think Dariax would be from Zephyr. Yeah. Okay. So maybe yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm just I shouldn't have corrected you there. Maybe Zephyr is just its own thing that is maybe not someone's Zephra. listening and they're like, "You idiots! This is what he said, and it's not <laughs> at all what either of you are saying." I don't know. I don't know. I, I think regardless, what's really cool about that scene is it, and it made me a bit untrusting of the grandmother in the sense of, I couldn't tell if she was telling the authentic memory as she, she even, she was careful in her words or I say careful. She, I was, I read her words deliberately, deliberately of she was led by her grandmother to this stone, um, 
presumable gate. portal or gate. Yeah. Uh, and then she appeared, she woke up in, um, what was the place called? Singorn. Singorn. And walked from there to Iman, and which I wasn't clear if um, they walked a long way to the stone gate, and then she walked even more, or if she, you know the stone gate was near her home, and then it was a long walk to um, Iman. But uh, yeah, was being led there, and then there were some thoughts that you know we know that they were in the crater at some point. This was all very confusing to me because yeah. it. It seemed like, and you had a great insight from the last episode, which is, what's up with the amnesia? And I was like, well, they just partied. You know, that's, they just wrote it off. And you were like, yeah, but maybe not. Maybe there's something happening yeah. here. And they seem to, or at least Darian seems, excuse me, Dorian seems to have this remembrance of, actually, I guess that's later when they're talking to the fire genasi. Yeah, yeah. I was going to yeah, say, we, pause on that because I want to talk yeah, more yeah. about the, I want to see if I can shed some light on the, uh, the gate thing for you because and not that i know the answers but there are some interesting things here that might kind of make it make a little more sense is that the way the feywild works is is strange and it kind of messes with your memory and time so i think those were kind of all elements at play with the fact that you know she kind of had to peel back the thing and you know probably only because she got a natural 20 i think it was um mm. but so when so time passes differently there and like when you go to like if you're leaving like the, the <laughs> yeah Loki plug yeah sorry <laughs> check out go our ahead. Loki discussion um yeah so uh like when you exit at least for the rules in Matt's world which that's what we're in so I'm assuming it's the same here uh like when you leave the Feywild and come back to a different plane of existence there is a chance that one you just will completely forget everything that you did while in the Feywild so you just like your memory would be wiped. Uh, but two, also, like, a lot of time could have passed. Like, you could, like, if I stepped through a portal into the Feywild, stayed there for one second, and stepped back, it could be, like, a month later. So, that the mm. time dilation thing is, yeah, okay. I interpreted the, I walked for a long time, like, forever, but also a second. That's what I interpreted, was, like, maybe, like, the time dilation of the passing through this portal or something. Um, that's what I got there. But the memory thing is interesting because it's not that she just forgot. Like you said, it was like almost a memory had been implanted to be like, this is what happened, not this. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a cover-up almost. Mm -hmm. Whereas the rules of the Feywild, at least that I'm familiar with, that isn't what happened. You just straight up forget. Right. So the fact that she remembered but just remembered something else makes me think maybe foul play was involved. Or maybe not foul play, but like maybe her grandma... Mm -hmm enchanted her for some reason to not have to remember i don't know well isn't in i don't want to we'll get to this in a little bit but just pulling into the fact that she could be could reach her hand into the sigil into the fissure and not be like melted away basically right i think and she was a, yeah right she was a um like a, a wild spirit or something like that was was her um or well i can't remember like a fire something um wildfire druid is that really wildfire thank you so it's a type of druid that she is mm -hmm. right yeah so i can't remember if this was in the show or if i read this or what um because again it, this is so so much just happened in this episode so it's hard for me to piece everything together but um we know they eventually go to the crater and she pulls mr out of these i guess fissures that are in the crater 
is it possible she was sent for a very deliberate purpose of dealing with the crater? That's a really interesting theory. Like, yeah, I mean, it could be, right? I mean, she just, I, I don't know if she, did she give any explanation or she's just like, I just like felt compelled to reach down and I think grab. she said, she. yeah, I think that's how she described it exactly was she felt, she felt this something in the ground and reached in and out came Mr. Yeah, I, I really like that theory because it does seem like th there is some grand mystery here that we are not that we are not privy to yet. And I guess mm -hmm. let's just and let, if we, you cool to move here now. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. So because all right, they're missing a week. You know, they kind of alluded to it in the first episode. They didn't they didn't tread too much on it. So I was kind of confused because like you said, they've been partying. Like, was it just like a, a funny thing they were saying? Like, I can't even remember last week. But it seems like they are literally like all have amnesia for almost a week. And mm -hmm. the only thing they remember, and I can't tell if this is at the beginning of the week, like so they have a memory, then there's six days of black and then they're here or there's like six days of black and they the, the start of the memory is is the crater thing because they I think they said they just remember like footsteps from the crater leading to something. And like that mm -hmm. was like the first memory they had. Mm -hmm. so what's going on there why like why are these people even together why were they all together in the crater like what are mm -hmm. what were they doing and if it is because fern you know had some mission whatever it may be like to go get mister to go inspect it or whatever why is like why is everyone else there you know they don't right. they didn't know each other before this so like why would these random five strangers Presumably. yeah so i mean i don't this isn't really even leading toward a question. I guess I'm just trying to like lay out the groundwork for what we know, but like, yeah, what, what's going on there? And I, it was great. Your comment of, it was funny. Cause when you were like, what's up with them not remembering six out of seven days, I remember thinking like, well, I think maybe you might be reaching for something. I don't know if that's anything. And us finding out that actually something big did happen prior to episode one. Uh, first of all, props to you. And second of all, um, that was very jarring as a viewer because it was seemingly a big reveal that didn't get much attention. Yeah. Like, like Dorian is sort of like, yeah, yeah, there was a figure. Um, and I'd actually miss those details of like this, I think of a lava lady, yeah, <laughs> but basically. a shadowy figure with like molten wings or something. And it was weird that they weren't like, okay, wait a second. So we, what were we all doing? It was just kind of like, oh yeah. And then they moved on from it. And so as a viewer, it was like, okay, did I just like totally miss something here? Like what, like what is even happening? Right. Clearly something did happen. And I, the only reason why I think Fern, Fern's present is missional-esque is her phrasing of my grandma was leading me, you know, was taking me somewhere almost. Mm. Um, and maybe somehow they got looped in for the ride. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's like, like you said, there, there's no, there was no show of it. It was no reveal, which is like, it's hard to, to, to catch because of that. But I actually really like it because it's, it's, it's earnest, right? Like they, they had this experience and they're obviously keeping it very close to the vest. Like they're not mm -hmm. even talking about it amongst themselves, you know, until it, it comes up. But like, did it seemed to me that like Dorian wasn't just remembering that 
out of the amnesia, it seems to me like that's one thing that he did remember already, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, maybe it was inconsequential in the sense of um, addressing it because it was, it's already been like a well understood, like, yeah, he has that memory. And then, and Derek does say, I'm not following any of this. I don't, I don't, I don't got any of this. I don't understand any of this. You know, um, I think it was that conversation at least. And so, you know, maybe that's also part of it is like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it just, it seems like something important down there happened again. Like why were they even there? And they, they apparently saw this same lady who reached down and used the energy to create these cinder slag elementals that killed seven people. Mm -hmm. So why did, when our party see this lady, did they, did they fight? Did they mm -hmm. survive? Did they not fight? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great question. And did they, maybe they lost and this is like the townhouses where they've been recovering over the last, I guess they'd have more like noticeable injuries or things like that. Or, um, I, I just wonder if like, maybe they, they were actually recovering and maybe they aren't even level two. Maybe they just coming away. They've sort of, um, you know, it's like the classic game sequel where like the character who's like become very powerful in a previous game has um same thing with like breath of the wild you you know are kind of knocked out of commission or something happens and you're back on this journey of um yeah like i don't know yeah like maybe even the amnesia has like robbed them of their skills you know what i'm saying like it, it could also explain like a, a faster leveling process in eight episodes right like bro and you this this is off the wall crazy, but it's a thought that entered my mind while you were talking. Because of the grandma thing you said, too. That, like, I'm not... So, Fern is a wildfire druid, and that's why she could... She doesn't get mm -hmm. burned, right? And she did the same thing that this lady did. What if that lady was also a wildfire druid? Maybe even her grandma. I'm not necessarily saying that, but maybe a wildfire druid, maybe. And that's why she could do this. But they have amnesia, seemingly. And again, mm -hmm. unless that's just code word and, and us as the audience are not being revealed for some reason. But they seemingly yeah. have amnesia. Um, modify memory is a spell in D&D. &D. And so perhaps like a powerful being, like if they did confront this lady or they, whatever they were doing there, like maybe they all had their minds wiped like by a powerful spellcaster. Mm -hmm. And the connection I just, that had the Eureka moment is we just, Fern has a modified memory of her freaking travel through the, the gate. So like right. maybe whoever did that, be it the grandma or be it somebody else, also modified this whole crew's memory. But to me, I, I interpret that as like, why not just kill them? And so I assume it was for their own benefit, like for their protection. And so that's why, you know, this person, the shadowy figure is being a bit framed as like this mysterious evil character. Maybe that person's presence was misinterpreted by the fire Genasi as being sort of like the, the source of the chaos and maybe it's actually someone who was trying to protect them or I don't know. Cause I mean, I, again, you think about, okay, well, if this character facilitated this event, these flare ups or what have you that killed so many of, you know, the Genasi squad, how did this group of level two adventures get out relatively unscathed? 
I don't know. <laughs> that is like the grand mystery, though. And I, I really like the, the idea that maybe they're not level two and they are, like you said, like be it the amnesia or be it whatever, just have kind of like forgotten. And like mm -hmm. we, like you said, like maybe there, there will be a moment where they are mm -hmm. eureka moment. And it's like, all right, you guys are level 15 again now. And you'd be like, what? And so yeah, then yeah. maybe the stakes could... That would kind of make more sense with the, the stakes we've been presented. So that would be interesting. Yeah. Or in maybe not even a moment where it's like, now you're level 15. Maybe it's like, hey, now you're level four. And mm -hmm. people on like Reddit are like, what the heck? This is way faster than it's supposed to be. And there's like, yeah, that's your level four. Oh, now you're level six. Oh, now you're level yeah. nine. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, part of me wonders if that would be a, a working theory since we're already through episode two and they're still level two. And so I'm thinking, okay, if there was going to be an accelerated leveling, I would feel like it maybe would already be happening or in mm -hmm. play, but we'll see for episode three. I do want to ask you a bit of a history check on, um, Let me get my dice. <laughs> on this. Cause I, having not played or watched campaign one or two, I'm hearing name dropping and I'm not familiar with, okay, is this something? Mm -hmm. So we have the crater in the center of Iman, they're heading to see the fire Genasi, who my interpretation is, is that they're sort of watching over um, the scar of the Cinder King. My understanding yes. is that these were both caused by the same, because when they're talking to, um, what was the half-orc's name? Lokathar? Lorkathar? Lokathar? Lorkathar. Lorkathar basically explains that Thordak? Thordak. The Cinder Thordak. King had like these were like the two places that he left his mark and it's corrupted and fire elementals come out of it and their job sort of to watch over it and keep it um at bay and these this flare-up has happened now there's earthquakes there's tremors and it's it's like and even uh this character says basically we think something unseen is sort of re-agitating reactivating and even um empowering these elementals yeah who first question who the heck is thordak is this someone from a previous campaign yes um thordak is from campaign one um he is a dragon a uh ancient red dragon and um he so again i'm not gonna go into anything that has not been touched already on in the show but so what you need to know is he uh, attacked him on at some point, and his crater is where Thordak's crater, which is in inside the city in the Cloudtop district, where or, uh, I think that's where Orem was at the very beginning of the first episode. He was walking around there, and sorry, but now I'm remembering things. I think that's where he might have said like that was his first memory of like the footsteps from the crater or something like that. Anyway, um, so that's where Thordak, when he was in Iman, like that's where he like made his layer you know so the, the, the crater was where he like resided um the star like did, uh, did people live there at the time like I'm, that's like where it kind of throws me too is like was it like relatively peaceful at some point and then only recently have these flare-ups been happening because like, i'm just trying to wrap my head around a crater with elementals in it that have killed fire genasi and yet there's a town of people like all around it who are just like hey what are you going for dinner tonight i don't know so uh Iman normal city Thordak attacked it and like made it his home at a at a time he is no longer there but the 
remnants of his presence are. So, uh, you know, it wasn't just like that he they built this city around him or anything. Like it was just a normal yeah. city, and then one day he came and crashed yeah, in. Yeah. Uh, so my understanding was that you know she said like people are starting to move back in. I don't want them to. So I imagine just like ever since his thing, like that area of the town has probably been like kind of quarantined off. Uh, but I yeah, guess okay. people are now starting to move back. But um, so that's the crater. The scar is like he's a dragon. I think he like kind of torched like the earth or like you know kind of just raised the land. R a z e d. Um, yeah, because they called it the uh, petrified forest. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense of like intense heat that petrified it. Yeah. So okay. I think that's where he kind of like just a, a site of like a massive attack of his. Okay. Did okay, that this answer makes your questions? Sense. No, totally. Yeah, yeah. I was like. Who the heck is this guy and what's going on here? <laughs> okay, so then something is, they think something, someone is presumably um, uh, embracing, I guess, the corruption of this area. And now we have the flare-up happening. And it's actually what causes the fire gen genasi to be pretty disinterested in Orem's news of, hey, we have this residuum. Like, yeah. this is a big deal. And they're kind of like, hey, our hands are, we're a little busy right now because we have this flare up. We have these elementals. Um, it's killing our people. It's chaotic. Um, and which that also um, threw me a little bit because I was expecting, I guess what I was expecting was we have residuum. And they're like, oh my gosh, what? You have residuum? But it was like, okay, yeah, great. Hey, these <laughs> this, this is pretty serious right now. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously, it's the catalyst for the rest of the episode, which is, you know, a massive earthquake happens. Yeah. And like residuum is very powerful and it's very, it's worth a lot of money, but like it, it I mean, especially for someone like Lorgathar, who I couldn't, I get, we never really got the reveal of, on if she's like the top dog of, of that area, mm -hmm. but it seems like she was at least in charge of some mm -hmm. things, but, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of below her pay grade. She's like, okay, you know, you've got, you've got some stolen goods, like, and it didn't involve, it didn't involve the fire of Shari specifically, you know, it was from the, the air. So I mean, it's just, I think it's just, you know, more important things were happening. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I just didn't want to give you the wrong idea that like, while residuum is very precious and powerful and worth a lot of money, it's not like, it's not like a vestige of divergence. Like it, it does, it wouldn't warrant that type of reaction out of someone. Residuum. You mean vibranium? <laughs> Unobtainium. Yeah. That, that part great was great. Love. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Well, so, um, the episode, definitely the second half of it was like, holy crap, like what's going to happen here? Because right after this conversation, this earthquake happens, you know, the sky kind of looks like it's on fire. Ash is falling um from the sky and we they basically eventually find themselves to um this fiery flaming sigil which i, I was so curious i was like okay what's like what's happening here like what it is the sigil was almost like a spot was being marked like a stamp and yet i was expecting like a balrog or something to come out <laughs> of it i don't know it was there's i still have a lot of questions i guess i don't know yeah me too i wonder what it is i think somebody in the episode i forget who maybe speculated it was a, a portal or like a door or did somebody say that or am i making that up i don't remember um i definitely was nervous though as yeah. to like someone 
you know, I, I know DMs joke a lot about their stupid characters in their games. I was worried that, you know, like Dariax would be like, yeah, I'll go in there, you know, and then <laughs> she like melted. Yeah. You know, so um, I did like the, it's not fair to call it a bait and switch, but I thought the sigil itself like emanated this like magical immunity. And so I liked how yeah. um, uh, Opal's sister, which I, I couldn't tell. At first, I thought she was like talking to her. It was almost like this very like um, flavorful, flavorful version of sending or message where they were like talking across mm-hmm. a really long distance. But I don't know enough about that spell. And we found out in the post credits that it seems like the sister is um, the way she described it, like from a dark place or a lowly place. I got serious, like get out vibes mm-hmm. of um, you know the character, their body snatching, right? And so. Sorry, spoilers for those who haven't seen the movie. <laughs> it's been eight years. Um, but that's how they describe it when they've been body snatched is I was in the sunken place and it's this dark place. And so I, for me, I read that as Ted is maybe an alter ego or a um, maybe it's part of her personality that is like fragmented in her mind, but yet still really, you know, it's maybe it's like if Opal is... Um, you know, naive and uh, a bit arrogant and selfish, kind of like a spoiled brat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ted is this other version um, that's still part of her whole personality that has more um, maturity. And I, I don't know, but she she says it's my twin sister. Right. And so I wonder, yeah, I don't know really what I'm wondering other than What's going on here? Yeah, what is going on there? And I, I love that fake out too. I thought that was really clever of Abria to to do mm-hmm. that because I, I think that's what everyone. I don't think anyone was thinking it was Ted. You know, we mm-hmm. thought like, oh, this magic doesn't work around this mm-hmm. thing. So, and I was just so great that she parlayed it into that moment where like Ted was just like, "You idiot!" Like mm-hmm. it's me. Um, but yeah, what is going on there? And hopefully we get some answers since the party just saw her talking to herself and we're like, we're going to talk about this later. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Like it, it, and not only all those things you said, but like Ted is her seemingly her warlock patron. (laughs) Right. She could take away her magic and and give it to her. So like, is it, is it not really her sister? And it is this demonic powerful entity that has just like made it think that mm-hmm. it's her twin sister talking to her i feel like that oh, might okay. be more uh, that might be more likely than like some crazy weirdness of like my twin sister's soul is absorbed in mine yeah and has okay. powers okay yeah that makes sense i hadn't thought of that so you think like opal's even um maybe she's been mind jarred in some way to now yeah yeah it's my sister but it's like no this person is maybe trying to get out trying to control you i don't know um but it's obviously important enough detail that the post credits scene uh focused in on it that is true because you know seemingly that's just that's just us for the audience right like we're just like that scene wouldn't have been manipulative because it wasn't for anyone. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. Ted in that scene wasn't talking to anyone. It was just kind of like her inner monologue right. almost. That's a right. great point because let me just look at exactly what she said again. Cause it seems like based on that, she really does care. Ted really does care for Opal. Mm-hmm. 
So that would make me think that it's not just like an evil deity tricking her. What does she say? She says, Ted watches from a dark place, seething with frustration, love, and duty, but definitely hmm. frustration. She will cave. She will always protect her sister, or her sister, from the world, from herself. Now, a couple things here. It's kind of confusing with the pronouns. She will cave. Is she talking about Ted says she will cave. So is she talking about Opal maybe in their argument that they're having? Or do you think there's like a deeper meaning there? I think Abria needs a grammar lesson because we're, we're using her and she, and I'm like, these are like sins in grammar that we're not supposed to do. And it, I can't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's obviously intentional. I'm just joking. But, um, the love and duty thing is why I didn't go the nefarious routes. Um, and so here's what's hard though, is I'm thinking she was talking about her, Ted was talking about herself, love and duty, because it talks about seething out of frustration, but it could be frustration out. It could be thinking of Opal's love and duty. Um, I don't know. It's, it's so hard to know, like who is being referred to in this sentence, in this description. Um, but one thing we do come out from this is okay, clearly this character is not just a simple um there's a lot more com complexity to it yeah and the second not to get too in the weeds on this but the second she it she's talking about herself ted because she says she will always protect her sister from the world from herself so maybe that means the first she is also herself and so she will cave maybe it Maybe this is all about just the argument still, because she will cave, maybe meaning she'll cave and she'll give her her powers back because, you know, she wants to protect her sister or whatever. Uh, but the the from herself. That one's got me, too. Like, well, she, oh, she'll protect Opal from Opal or she'll protect Opal from <laughs> Ted. I don't know. It's that part of the show. We whip out the whiteboard and start to... <laughs> yeah, that Charlie, uh, that Charlie yeah, Day meme. Sylvia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows hopefully we get some resolution in the next six episodes um like i said it's it's so pronounced that part of the fun of, a, of watching D D is seeing these characters develop and come to life and figure out details about them um the fact that we're focusing in on this feels like it's going to be an integral part to the story at some point yeah i mean it'd have to be right yeah and one final thing on this part is that you know here we get watches from a dark place which like you said, sunken place vibes. But uh, Opal, I think it was this episode, it might have been episode one, at one point mentioned, like, I don't know where my sister is. She's probably just at home, like, sitting on the porch. So, like, mm -hmm. in Opal's mind, her sister, like, she, Opal doesn't believe her sister's inside her. She still thinks her sister's out in the world somewhere, but yet they have mm -hmm. this connection or something. But to me, I don't, because of the dark place, I feel like, that she's not like she's either inside her that Opal, and Opal doesn't realize that, or she's a different plane of existence because she's a well evil deity or something. Here's what should really throw you <clears throat> is the moment where she's looking at the box and she sees through it and sees the circlet, mm -hmm. and we see the same description that we're used to of like darkness, skittering, whatever. But specifically for her, the sky goes black. It's almost like she steps into her own. Um, mental space and it's very spider queen-esque but then her sister speaks up so is it possible that her sister 
and the Spider Queen have similar backgrounds? Or even, is it possible her patron is the Spider Queen, unbeknownst to her? That is her sister? Like her sister's the Spider Queen? Maybe, maybe her sister is the Spider Queen, and it's it's she's been manipulated into thinking that's my sister, hmm. but it's not really the sister. Because um, I do know in in like past D and D games, like Baldur's Gate, for example, when you come across, um, there is a Spider Queen esque character, and she's a manipulator. And so I'm totally like imp- implanting my past biases yeah, yeah. on what's happening here. But it's just, it's interesting that we think we're having a moment with the circlet, but actually it's the sister from a dark place who is talking with her. Yeah, I mean, that's... And maybe they're, and maybe they're both just being merged for like a nice transition into here's the sister now. But for me, I just wonder, are, are there some similarities there in the sense of similar backgrounds, similar origins, maybe even similar person? I don't know. That would be super interesting. That'd be crazy. I mean, it it, it kind of makes sense with the, the things you said. Uh, clip it. Clip it. <laughs> the, uh, You're watching this clip because we called it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, we're going to be blasting this out if that's true, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the only what, what she's a ma- if if she if, if that's true, and then she probably would be a master manipulator, right? But so I was going to say the only maybe counter to that you could wipe it away by saying she's being manipulative, but she was saying like, get rid of that, throw it in the ocean, you know, like she was like advising her to ditch the thing, which if, if they were the same person, you think maybe she wouldn't be doing that, but maybe uh, it was like a I'm, reverse yeah. psychology. <laughs> now I'm totally Mephisto in going into this. Cause it's like, yeah, maybe they're saying get rid of it because they're looking for it. They're trying to find it. They don't <laughs> want them to have it anymore. So just like, Hey, get rid of it. I don't know. Because we do, it, it seems that the, the scene where they're at the campsite seems to imply there's a bit of franticness around, they're hearing horses um, speeding up and down the road. Uh, Dariax thinks he sees Pasca riding quickly um, in the distance. So to me, I, I interpret that to, uh, which maybe they're none the wiser about the circlet. Maybe it's just the residuum and they're just pissed off. But I get the sense that there's a bit of Especially the people. What was the ship called? The the Blight Star. Blight Star. I'm assuming the people who shipped it originally. I can only assume there's a bit of of panic around. Where is this? We have to find it. We have to track this down. Um, and the people who killed the guards, or excuse me, the um, the crew, have to also be desperately thinking like we were almost there. Like where is this? Yeah, and who are those people? Because I don't really think they're nameless ones, do you? No, I think it was set up for the warehouse battle to seem like the same shadowy figures, and then it ended up being the the thieves guild individuals. Um, I don't think they're the same people. I think the sh- the original shadowy creature is some kind of shadowy creature that isn't corporal. Cor- is that the word? Corporal. Corporeal. Cor- I think maybe. Corporeal. Thank you. It's not corporeal enough to have actually gotten the item, but I, I interpret interpreting it as a totally different faction force, whatever in the story so far. I, I agree with that, especially since that like Posca didn't point them toward that, you know, mm-hmm. they just happened to, to find that. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I I love <laughs> I love the theory about the Spider Queen. Like I don't I don't know if that'll be true, but it's very interesting because there's there's something going on there. So right with with, well, with old Ted. And then them being asked to go back to Iman. I mean, I'm thinking like they they did they did a lot to get out of there. Yeah, they didn't do that much, I guess. But now to take this item back to Iman, I'm just I'm curious to see. Okay, what happens there? Yeah, now I guess it's a good time to talk about it. So you wouldn't know this, but Sean Gilmore is a massive NPC from Campaign One. So okay, that's it's. I wondered because Ashley Johnson's face was literally <laughs> when it was name dropped, and I was like, I, I don't know who that is. Yeah, so. I can't. I'm so interested to see what happens. Like, I'm, I imagine, I'm imagining they're actually going to find him and he's going to show up. But I guess it's possible that like they don't actually interact with him for whatever reason. Hmm. But so in, I, I just want to be really excited to see him again. It'll be weird to not hear Matt be the one that's doing it. Hmm. Um. Because I assume it'll still be a Bria. I know I've seen some people saying like, "I bet Matt will just still play Gilmore," and I'm like, "I don't think so. That would be weird." So you know? Yeah, so, I don't think so. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be. I kind of forgot what got me on this train. What were we talking about before? I'm going back to Iman because that's the mission: is go back oh, to right. Iman. Um, right. We need your help. Go ask him about the sigil. But yeah, he's a he's a rune child, so he might know about these runes, which. Oh yeah, I didn't know what that meant. Being it's a just like out. a uh, what's the word? Um, it's like in, in Matt's world, and maybe it maybe this exists in in regular D and D too, but I'm not familiar enough with that to know. So like, I don't know if Matt just took this and put it in his world, or if Matt created it. But it's mm-hmm. uh not a class, but like it's like a it's like a history or like a background you can pick for like your character like an archetype almost yeah yeah and so um it just has to do with like his type of like being a mage or whatever okay um but so yeah it'll be great to see him interesting to see him and i wonder getting his take on the circlet would be awesome but i don't know if they'll trust him enough to like tell Mm -hmm. him about it or show it to him um yeah, oh, and this reminds me, I think I think we started this, but never even ended up talking. Well, we did a little bit, but what the freaking rune is anyway, you know, what we think. Uh, mentioned might be like a portal or a door or something, but the fact that it like created an entire... And sorry, I'm kind of jumping here, unless you had more to, to say about mm-hmm. him on. Okay. The, it, the, the Oh No Plateau, as <laughs> the episode is titled. Um, it, it, to my understanding, the whole thing was seemingly to service that rune, right? Is that what you got from it? That like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. And so if, if you think on a grand scale, I'm wondering like, is that one part of like a potential, like entire, like spell circle that's being created? Like maybe across the world, there's another one. And like, you know, all up on these different places. And like, I know the one that they saw here, Fern said it looked incomplete. So, one, I wonder why, but two, yeah, what I wonder happens, why she thinks that. Yeah, and what happens when it's complete? Like, and mm. is it a standalone thing, or are there other ones in the world? And if so, like, that's very big implications, I think, for something that large. Because, like in D anD D, like, um, like spellcasters create like runic 
transmutation circles and spell circles and stuff and you know for a purpose obviously mm. so like what would the purpose of one on this scale be and since we're dealing with like these elemental planes and stuff is it like a passageway for something to make its way from one plane to another or i i, I interpret it has to be something that's not in the world of um Tal'Dorei, but is in another on another plane or the world of Exandria, excuse me yeah because I don't envision like a subtly, um, you know, roguish like massive, you know, Golamag esque lava dude who's walking around like stamping the ground or something. You know, the fact <laughs> that the Mesa came out of the earth, I think of it as like something trying to like almost like punch through or like get through. And the sigil is like the splitting of that spot. Hmm. Um, it was a bit strange that when they arrived there that Abria said, you don't, you don't feel a sense of danger because i'm thinking like oh man this is gonna get crazy um instead they feel they don't feel that but the, it is still like a bit unsettling um and what ended up happening it, I, I thought a monster was going to come out it didn't but mr stepping on the sigil you know transforms into this creature that then fights them so maybe it does have evil implications i i don't really know i, I i'm not sure where this is going yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously all has to be connected, though, right? Like, clearly, whatever is doing this is the same thing that killed all those fire shari that right. the party apparently also saw. <laughs> and so, right. I don't know. I think it'd be really interesting if, if Fern was kind of a linchpin in all this. Like, you maybe speculated that, like, maybe she was sent there to do something. And maybe maybe her getting mind wiped is what is, like, caused it to not happened yet like you know like maybe she's an integral part and she's currently mind wiped not even knowing what her purpose mm -hmm. is i don't know that'd be kind of weird though if she was like secretly kind of a bad guy yeah um, i don't know speaking of fern one thing that i wanted to mention to you that uh, she said during the episode is um it's when uh, after uh it's at the end of the episode uh, after dariax attacks uh mister which was hilarious um, he reveals that you know he got bit by a monkey when he was younger, so that's why he he felt that way. Um, that was awesome. But Fern responds to that like, "Oh yeah, I've been bit by all sorts of monsters. I've probably died a lot of times." And that was just such a weird thing to say. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't yeah. remember if they pointed it out, and like that was another thing that they're like, "We're going to talk about that later," or or not. But like, definitely struck my radar. I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't really tell if it was something like that or if they just I feel like whenever I play in D&D &D and I like I drop like a little heavy breadcrumb like that, most of my friends just pass over it. They're just like, <laughs> "Okay, cool." <laughs> I'm like, "When my wife died." See, like, "Nice. Okay, so anyway." <laughs> so, uh, maybe that's a little bit of what was happening. I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it beats me. So, mysteries, mysteries, mysteries. Uh, well, any other parts of the episode that you wanted to talk about? Because I, I, I do want to talk about this other... Um, the meta? Yeah, yeah. The meta of the show as a whole. Um, and I have some thoughts there. Um, even, I'd say, some criticisms there. And uh, I don't know if we're ready to talk about that yet or if you have more you want to talk about within the constraints uh, of what actually happened. Yeah, let's do it. I have I have one other little thing, but then we can jump right into it. And this is just uh, I think I forgot to mention this in the recap, but uh, when Dariax 
moves the circlet to the new bag and his eyes go jet black. Oh like, my god. I one, I can't wait to see like what happens there, but two, I just gotta give so much love to Matt. He's such a good player. Um, and he had so many moments, but like right then, he's so like as a player, you would want to like react to that and be like, well, what's happening? What's happening? But he doesn't because no one told him that happened and he doesn't know because he's himself. So I just love the way he reacted to that. And I was like, why is no one telling him that his eyes are black? But mm-hmm. he, was, he was so smart with it because like, I forget who said what, but they're like, are you okay? And he's like, well, you know, this earthquake just happened and this, I mean, but yeah, I'm okay for the most part. And I was like, mm-hmm. dang, you're so good at that role play because it, I, for me, or I just feel like it would be so easy to be like, well, my eyes are black, but no, he yeah, instead right. didn't know that and smartly really played off like the dumb character. And the other detail, yeah, being a dungeon master, probably knowing you probably shouldn't touch this, but yes. in, fully in his player's shoes of like, hey, move it over to this satchel. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's like, and he's like, I got it, man. Don't worry. <laughs> like eyes jet black. Um, and it seems like it's permanent. Or at least in the sense we've seen that, like, even at the end when they're talking to the Genasi again, his he makes a comment and uh, Abria's like, yeah, he says that with eyes jet black still. <laughs> yeah. I, so, which is weird that no one's been like, dude, like, this is what's happened to you. Yeah, but why is no one told it? Yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, bro, so. last thing on that, I kind of really hope somebody puts it on. I just want to know what happens. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't even. I'm like, no, don't put it on. I mean, I think if someone puts it on, it would be him. He'd be like, <laughs> yeah. guys, this is so dumb. Like, this is nothing. And then just boop. Which, or if your theory's right, maybe Ted's like, hey, Opal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. All right. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm forgetting, but I think we can move on over if you're ready. Okay. Yeah, I looked at my notes and I feel like I've hit most of the things that I want to talk about in the in the episode. So I'm speaking only for myself. So like, Will, I know you and I haven't talked about this. Um, and we have made a couple of comments on, you know, this is different. This isn't like, this is different from like campaigns. And also being appreciative of um, everyone's different style. It's a different crew. I'm... I really enjoyed this episode. I felt like I was sitting in on someone's like homebrew, like I'm in their living room watching a bunch of people play D and D. Yeah. I have some, I do have some concerns about the critical role esque boundaries of what's happening. And a couple of things I think about with this is and I call them concerns because I wouldn't, I wouldn't fully call them like criticisms because like who am I to like critique the show? But there's things that I think, okay, and I mentioned this a little bit at the start of like, okay, where does this exactly go in the next six episodes? It, fe- it felt really good as an individual um, episode, like being in it. In the, in the meta of like the whole, like enjoying critical role, mm-hmm. I felt more whelmed. And part of that is I'm having a tough time as an audience person grasping on to where is this going and what is the theme of this? And here's what I mean by this. It, theme's the wrong word. But what I mean by this is first episode, we get the circlet. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is a show about the circlet. 
Then we have the Thieves Guild and something. Okay, there's going to be some kind of interesting power struggle here. We have the Residuum show up, which Orem is like, this is serious. Like this is like this is. We're totally beelining our mission now. We we need to go to the Fire Genasi and talk to them about this. You know, the circle just stays on like someone's back or on Derex's back. And so then, me as the viewer, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is sort of the the big push of the show is it's going to be about the thieves guild and the residuum and like what's happening under the table well then when we get to um the the petrified force i can't remember the name of the outpost by the way um but he yeah. Firewatch was, or something maybe? i was thinking Firewatch, but then i was like is that is that a location in wow i don't know <laughs> but um you know, Orm says, hey, we have this residuum. And she's like, oh, that? Okay. And actually, the half-orc even says at the end, when Opal is being like, hey, did you send her a message? Like, what the heck? She's like, I don't care about your weird little rocks or your weird magic rocks. And so I'm like, okay, well then, so it's not about the rocks. Okay, so it's about it's about the um, these fire elementals and the sigil. So I think I think I'm just ready for there to... I don't know if I, maybe I'm not being patient enough, but it also feels like there's not enough room to be patient, patient in the sense of we have six episodes left. And so as a viewer, I'm having a tough time seeing the scope of it mm-hmm. because it feels like, it feels like there's more of um, breadcrumbs for where the story could go without an overt, Hey, this is what this story is going to be about. And it's also why I said at the start of our episode, I wonder if this is more of an of an introduction story to something bigger than a what I originally thought, which was it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, do you have any similar thoughts? Do you does it make sense where I'm coming from? This might be the first time you and I have maybe disagreed on something. I don't know, um, but I'd love to get your take on sort of like the overall flow and direction, what's happening in the plot of this story. Yeah, I think those are all fair criticisms. I think. Uh... I think some of it might just be that's D and D, and I know I know you know that in terms of like there could be thirty five plot threads, but you know the players pick these, and so that's kind of the direction the story goes. As far as like well, why is the residuum not leading anywhere, you know, or mm-hmm. why is you know whatever. I think some of it might be that, and I guess that maybe the counter to that is well, this is an eight episode thing, so they must have you know. Like what we wouldn't be wasting screen time on this if it wasn't something, right? So what's going right. on there? And so I think maybe the the counter to the counter would be that yes, it's eight episodes, but because of the pandemic and stuff, you know, they've for the last year have been doing things differently where they the these episodes are pre recorded and um I would go so far as to venture they probably recorded and completed the entire thing before they even, you know, began to produce the show, like, you know, make it a product. Like, I bet they had it all. I bet it to me, it wasn't probably like this is going to be eight episodes. It was like, let's do this. And it ended up being eight episodes Mm -hmm. so that like as far as like an organic beginning, middle and end, I don't think it'll be like a jarring like. You know, I think they definitely mm-hmm. had to know that it couldn't be too long. Like it, they didn't just say right. like take however many it takes, but like <laughs> probably something in the eight episode 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 happens. They're like, okay, this is like a really great organic place to end this tale, mm-hmm. so we'll do it there. Um, but I, I I totally agree with what you're saying, and it does feel like we kind of 
haven't found the main thing yet, which I guess maybe now it's this weird thing going on with the, the sigil and the elemental planes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But again, maybe not because how is a level two party going to deal with something like that? So, yeah, well, and it's, it's like you said with D and D and I, I totally agree that, you know, it's like the common phrasing of like, who's the big, bad, evil guy. And a lot of times the big, bad, evil guy doesn't show their face or its face until pretty far into a D&D story. So it, it does make sense like this um, ambiguity around where, like, where's this, where is the story taking us to? I think for me, it's the tension of really it's tension and it's the excitement of, okay, we have six episodes. I'm really excited to see where this hones in on. Yeah. So the other thing I don't, and by the way, I don't, I don't this to be like Blake's list of complaints. So. <laughs> <laughs> but these are things that I've been thinking about. Oh, no, you know? yeah. The other thing is I'm having a tough time with the party dynamic a little bit in the sense of, and it's, this is less actually, it's maybe an unfair concern about the show and more of this will be explained later. The party is very different from one another and I'm having a tough time figuring out what has brought this group together and why they've chosen to stay together. The clearest example is when they're tasked with by Posca to go steal something or makes it very clear, Hey, that's, that's not who I am. I'm not doing that. And he's sort of like the moral leader of the group. Yeah. Um, he's the one who, who directs them with the residual and says, we need to take this. We need to go. Uh -huh. And I'm assuming he's the one where the, the when the fire genasi said, Hey, we need you to go back to Yaman. He's going to say, yeah, I mean, if this is what they want us to do, um, we should go do this. But I'm having, I'm having a tough time putting like the on paper reason for why the party as a whole would be like, yeah, like we should go do that rather than like where my mind logically goes is a person here or there would, what I would assume invariably say, okay, yeah, well, I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't, I'm not going back to Iman. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, there's a, there's a little bit of a rub there for me that I'm having a tough time digesting. Uh, I mean, that's a fair criticism. And, uh, I mean, I think it could be a couple of things. One, there's this central mystery of the show, which we already touched on, which is like, what happened? Why are these people even together? And, like what happened in the crater? Why were they there? Yada yada mm -hmm. yada. So like, since that's such a big like black hole right now, when that gets filled in, it kind of might lend, shed some light on like why these people are together, you know. And mm -hmm. maybe even right now, since they they do kind of have amnesia or whatever it may be, they're kind of like bonded by this traumatic experience and are kind of like staying together until they can figure out what the hell's going on. But it does and maybe maybe even unknowingly bonded, like in yeah. the a bond a link to one another I, and i like that i like that line of reasoning i didn't mean to cut cut you off though no you're fine but uh i do agree that it is like we've got very like three very chaotic and literally with their alignments like i think all three chaotic neutral people with uh i don't remember is did he say he was chaotic good or maybe neutral good or i don't, I don't know but no, orum i mean no orum uh, orum was i don't remember what he said actually yeah. But in any case, it does seem like at least like Orem and Dariax, for example, are very different. Like Dariax has wow. admitted that he's kind of met, meddled with, you know, thieves and stuff. And Orem is very like by the book, you know. So like what why are they together? And uh, mm -hmm. 
one thing that actually stuck out stuck out to me that I forgot to mention earlier was when they were talking about um what happened in the crater and you know talking about how they had similar experiences Dorian said uh what happened in there changed him and he was talking about Orum and he's like that really affected him and he was like so if he wants to help you I want to help you and they were like yeah and if he if he helps you we help you so like something happened in there and they are all like close because of it and so maybe that and we don't know those answers so it is weird but so maybe maybe once we find that out this will make more mm-hmm. sense and then mm-hmm. the less interesting answer is that i mean it's D and they have to you know like it can't like if he's like i'm not yeah, doing yeah. this then they're like okay well what are you doing and we got to have like a yeah, session yeah. with what he's doing and then what they're doing all, you all know? going to one place and one person says i'm not going there and you're like oh great <laughs> i'm not going in the city <laughs> you're like okay let's let's figure out what you're doing then <laughs> yeah it definitely is much cleaner for um yeah definitely for everyone to stick together so <laughs> the only other thing that i'll say and i apologize i don't want to come off as negative but in my mind these are just fair criticisms I'm having a tough time with how the party, the, the, the energy, I guess, between the party and NPCs, it feels like a lot of NPCs are indifferent to the party or sometimes even like annoyed, like, mm-hmm. well, you know, what, what are you doing? Yeah. But, and I don't know if this is necessarily like a good or bad thing, but part of it is I, in some ways I kind of blame Opal and I, the way I read this, and I've, I've only read a couple of comments, but this one really stood out to me was it was the best thing about Opal's character is that she's a spoiled brat. And the worst thing about her character is a spoiled brat, <laughs> which yeah. which it's almost like every conversation is Opal. Like, for example, um, when when they are given the mission to go back to Iman and it's like it's a bit solemn and a bit steady and and. Um, the voice is very tempered and measured. And then Opal says, did you send the message though? You know, it's like, it's like, Oh gosh, like this this moment is totally. And, and by the way, this is not, this is not a criticism of Amy in any way. And cause I already said like seeing her experience D and D for the first time is really great. It's just the character I'm having. I'm just having a tough time. Not being annoyed by the character. Yeah. it's just cutting to the chase. I mean, that's honestly <laughs> what it is. It's like it's almost like the the moment can't set in without this this really abrasive response. And so I I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. It makes me wonder. Like, okay, as episodes go on, is this going to settle a bit, or is it going to be like, uh, okay, well, here's Opal. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No. I I. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've, I got some of that too. Like I, I saw a lot of people talk about this um, from what I've like in the chat last night when I was watching and a little bit in the discord that they were calling her uh, major Karen energy at that, at that part. Like I want <laughs> okay, to speak to the manager. That is so true. I did not read that. That is exactly, I couldn't find the words to describe it. That's, that's exactly right. Is yeah. She comes across as a major Karen for sure. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I, I think I think that criticism is fair. And uh, again, you know, it's <laughs> this isn't this isn't Amy hate, but the the, the character kind of has at points been a little annoying, you know, and like like you said, maybe kind of disrupted the mood of the moment, at, at least in that one part we were talking about there at the end. So I, I think it's. 
I think it I think it will get better. I think it is part of her character. Like I think sure. I think a lot of that is like an intentional choice, like that she's yeah. to be that way and not like, you know, just being obnoxious. Um Well, let me ask you let me ask you this. You've you spent a lot of time as a DM and you're really phenomenal at it. What's it like for you? And this is actually even less about Opal now. It's about your own like in-home sessions. What's it like for you when you have a player who seems to be disrupting the both maybe the momentum, but also like the vibe you're going for? Um, any insights there? I mean, it it depends on if it's like the, the it depends on like the intention behind it, right? Like if someone's just being a a douche, <laughs> you know what I mean? Then not cool, you know what I'm saying? But like. Yeah. If, if there's like if there's motive and like reasoning and they're trying to like be true to their character then you know that's fine and like i'll you know yeah. th- there's obviously a line there right that at some point you cross it and it's like you're just being a a, a problem for lack of a better word um but like it's like know, the hobo killers who like they want to yeah. kill everyone they meet and it's like right. dude come on so I think, and I know you're on the same page with me here. Like at this point, I'm giving Amy the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't think she's like, we'll see how things go, but I, I think it's fine for now, but I definitely understand uh, people's that have an issue with certain moments. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think she's new and I think maybe some of it's even like, Oh, like I, how do I participate in this? Like, you know, I want to be involved. I want to be active. Like, you know, uh, hopefully, I think it's. I think her character will be will be tempered as time goes on, but we'll see. I guess. Well, there's a lot of excitement in playing deity for the first time, and especially since it's all little literal verbal um, storytelling. There is. I know there's been in sessions that I've been in where I just I felt I had felt like okay, I need to be part of this conversation, right? And if I'm if I'm not, I'm too detached from it. But like to represent my character, I need to be involved. And it's really challenging. It's been really challenging for me to figure out how to do that really well. Um, I, I, I'm, this is totally my own phrasing, by the way. Um, you know, Amy's doing a great job, but I, I do, I could, if this was the case, I could empathize with a sense of, oh, I need to jump into this conversation because um, I really have, I've really had to figure that out. Um, and I haven't figured it out yet, but it is something that you're thinking about as a player is, how much do I get involved in this conversation? And it's something that I, I think the um, it's what made, has made campaign one and two so good is that they've worked together for such a long time that they know when it's time to, I don't say let, necessarily let someone have their moments, but there's, there's comfort mm-hmm. with their own character being absent from right. the dialogue right. for better or worse. Not necessarily that anyone in this current session needs to do that more or less, but it is a dynamic, I think, of a really um, strong D and D group. Um, no, so I, yeah, I think you're right. It's it's especially when uh, there's more people in Critical Role than there is in this campaign. There are more. There's six. This one only mm-hmm. has five. So with that many people, the the spotlight, you know, it can't be on everyone at once. So I think that is a learned skill and a comfort thing. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons I think this could improve with time. Uh, again, not that, not that this is like, you know, Amy, Amy sucks and needs to get better at D and D. No, I, I just, you know, and on that note, I think she was doing that in service of her, of her friend. Right. Like that was a, it wasn't just Amy being frustrated. She was like, all right, our friend right. came here to get this message done. And so she's like, my character is this type of like, 
yeah you know doesn't it doesn't put up with that so she's like boom so i think she was trying to do like mm-hmm. an in yeah. character you know so that oh, i yeah. applaud it's just that you know some people some people don't like certain people's personalities you know so <laughs> some people are karens and that's <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> yeah so i don't it's the think... role we play the timekeepers have told us that's your another loki reference i'm just kidding <laughs> but yeah so yeah. i guess to to wrap a bow on that is that i think it's fine to be annoyed with you know certain moments or certain characters but i think as long as like that's coming from an organic place and like an authentic like trying to role mm. play and stuff then it's fine but if it's come if you're just trying to like piss off the dm then you're being a yeah, douche yeah. and i don't yeah. think that's what's happening here yeah. so those are like my only thoughts from like the the meta of it um i know we're coming up on an hour and a half do you have anything else you want to add or any other insights or things you want to say i don't think so i mean this has been a good episode i feel like we've we've last episode we had to do a lot of framework frameworking mm-hmm. or whatever that word is sure and um, i felt like this one we really were able to get in and talk about some of the the cool stuff that we're wondering about yeah um don't forget that Ted is the spider queen. Um, <laughs> we call it here. <laughs> You're like, that's your theory. So, but it's um, true. Turns out Ted's like the warrior of light tasked with defeating the spider queen. <laughs> it's like total opposite or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, well, if that does it, then for our listeners, absolutely. Thank you for following us, checking it out. Please tell us what you think, what you think's happening in the show, what you're most excited about, what you're loving. Uh, maybe even some of your critiques. You know, this is a place where we're talking, we're deep diving. It's called a deep dive because we're literally deep diving and we're breaking down the episode into the nuts and bolts of the cool stuff that's happening. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll be back next week with another episode talking about episode three of Exandria Unlimited. What else we got, Will? We got, um, well, one, we got our thumbnail. You know, we got to do that real quick. But uh, I'm just going to give one more. I don't remember if we did this or not. So if we did, sorry, but I'm doing it again. Uh, catch us over on Twitter at px lists pixelists without the i and the e p x l i s t s um you know engage with me there uh we we love it love talking theories you know hit 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 us with questions and we'll talk about it on the show as it were um again shout out to the critical world critical critical world discord hit me with your questions there really anywhere reddit we might show up there probably should um but yeah that's all i got though so besides the what thumbnail, should, what should we do for the thumbnail? I, I had an idea. Um, we could we could try to recreate the invincible beam. You know, so I think with the yeah the way we're outlined here, like I'm Omni Man and you're like the crumpled, the crumpled Mark. Do you know what I'm about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does he say? I mean, not that it's his thumbnail, so nobody can hear me. But Before I forgot I what think, he says. Man, think. Oh yeah, think. You know. Yeah, yeah. So we don't have to do that, but that's my idea. Am I on the right side of being like crumpled, Mark? You need to crumple the other way. This way. Yeah. Okay. I'll just do this. Like. Okay. We got it. <laughs> Ship it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, nice. listeners, thanks again for checking us out, and we so appreciate you. And we'll catch you later. That's the Pixelist Podcast. See ya. Bye.